0: Really excited that you're here. We're going to have an awesome day. We have a visiting speaker, a good friend of ours. His name is Pastor Jacob, and he, he pastors the Ark Church in Oahu. If you're ever out there on vacation, you need to get to their church. They've got some really amazing family culture out there that we value and appreciate, and, and I'm sure that you'll be blessed. And we are going to introduce our really awesome, amazing friend who's come all this way and um, stepped away from his family. His daughter is turning 15 this weekend, and he is here with us. He's made arrangements to make that up to her, which I think is just awesome. Uh, but I'd just like to welcome him, and let's just, let's just stand and honor him as he comes. Appreciate, appreciate you. Hey, before you guys sit down, would you give Jesus a big shout? Come on, Jesus, today. You're awesome, God. You're awesome, God. Well, you guys can have your seats. I hope it's all right. I'm still giving. I didn't get an envelope soon enough. Sorry. Uh, I know that I'm here to give something to you guys, but I I felt like I should give to the Lord because I always do. Um, The Bible tells us you never know what seed is going to grow, so you might as well plant in every season. Um, That way you can be sure you'll have a harvest in every season. Um, I'm Jake. Um, My my congregation calls me Pastor Jake. And um, it's a pleasure and an honor to be with you today. And uh, I don't really know what time zone I'm in. I'm from Hawaii, but I was just in Texas, and now I'm back over here. And so I don't even know what time it is. If I say good morning, it's because I'm usually preaching in in the morning time at home. And they're, they're still having church right now. Um, And uh, I'm sure that God's doing amazing things there. Um, But uh, before I get started, I I do wanna just say a big thank you to a good friend of mine all the way back from the college days. Um, My friend Renee is here and um, I'm really thankful for him coming. I went to school in Southern California, uh, Pepperdine University just for two years. He actually made it all four years uh, or five years. How many many years was it? I don't know, six, seven, (laughs) stop counting. Perpetual student, uh, but uh, we lived in the same dorm, uh, and, uh, and we've been friends ever since, and so he's known me from uh, back in the days when I was less honorable, and, uh, and so it, it blesses my heart that he would come and, and uh, be here today as I'm actually preaching the gospel instead of, uh, I don't know, some other things that I was doing back in the day. Uh, I was not always saved. I just want you to know that. I, I, I did not pop out of the womb saved. Um, I actually made a decision for Jesus Christ in 1998. Uh, actually, that was my real decision. I was five years old when I first gave my life to the Lord, and then I decided to take the wheel back from Jesus. And then, uh, and then I, I really gave my life to the Lord uh, in 1998, and I've been living for Him ever since. I don't plan on stopping. Um, my family is, like I said, they're, they're at home, they're doing church right now. Um, I, I am married, I have a wife of 18, uh, 18 and a half years almost now, and uh, she's amazing. She must be amazing to put up with me for 18 years. Uh, we have two children, I've got a 15-year-old daughter, as uh, Pastor Andrew said, it was my daughter's 15th birthday on the 26th of September. And uh, so I missed that. I, I don't know that I'll owe her her real big. Uh, I did get her a, a wallet that was like a Marvel Loki wallet and she's like really into the MCU, you know, so that was, uh, that was good times. And then my son is 12 years old. His name is Dakota and uh, he is aggressive. Uh, he is, uh, he has his own little business, he's uh, got his business license, he sharpens knives for a living um, and that's why he pays rent now, I'm just kidding, <laughs> he does not yet pay rent but he will, he will, we believe in that and uh, and you know, the thing that I'd like you to know about me most is not that I've got a doctorate in theology or that I've got a, you know, that I went to school for this, that or the other thing, what I want you to know about me. First and foremost is that I love Jesus Um, and you know all the degrees in the world mean absolutely nothing if you do nothing with them And, um, and it means nothing if you can't take that piece of paper and all of that knowledge and all of that stuff that you've been given and take that and turn it into a practical lifestyle that matters not only to yourself but to the people around you. I believe that our lives are meant to leave an indelible fingerprint uh, upon the world around us, uh, that we are meant to be more than just transient vapors on this earth that really don't mean anything to anyone, but that we're meant to make an impact on the world around us. I believe that everyone sitting in this room has a calling, a choosing, a destiny by God and your destiny is so unique that God gave you a unique fingerprint, that God gave you a unique eye print. Did you know that? Your eye print is unique in the entire world. Did you know that your tongue print is unique in the entire world? There's no one that has the same thing. So don't go robbing banks with your tongue. They will find you. Uh, like I said, I, I haven't always been saved, so it, it's all, if it's all right, I like to be a little bit lighthearted when we're in, when we're in church, um, but I can say some hard things apparently, and it's all right, so we might go there too. We'll, we'll see how we get to. What time am I supposed to end, by the way? Yeah, we'll just go. My watch is three hours behind, so whenever it catches up, we're good. <laughs> I saw fear in some eyes. I can go that long, but I won't. I promise you. We'll be somewhat engaging today as we talk. I want to talk to you today uh, about something I'm calling the big hurdle. If you're somebody that takes notes, and I hope that you do, um, a good friend of mine says it this way, it's better to have a short pencil than a long memory. Some of you are like, what's a pencil? Uh, But that's okay. Uh, Better to have sore thumbs than a long memory. Uh, But I'm going to talk to you today about what I'm calling the big hurdle. Uh, How many of you enjoy watching the Olympics? Anybody in here? I enjoy the Olympics. I enjoy watching especially the Summer Olympics because the winter thing, you know, I'm from Hawaii. I'm wearing a pineapple shirt. We don't identify with the Winter Olympics very much. It's kind of like cool runnings, you know, for those of you that are a little bit older in the room. Uh, We don't identify with the Winter Olympics too much, but the Summer Olympics we get along with. Now, in the Summer Olympics, when I watch track and field, I don't do it often, but when I do, my favorite events to watch are the 100-meter hurdles and the steeplechase. And I like the steeplechase because it's kind of like it's a long-distance run, but it's got obstacles and people wipe out. Um, and I know that sounds really cruel, but I find it funny. Um, especially if they're not really injured badly. I find it kind of funny when they wipe out. They just keep on going, you know, cause they want the gold medal. Um, but you know, when I look at hurdles, I, I didn't realize how technical hurdling is. I just think you run down the thing as fast as you can, jump over the thing and hope to not knock it down and hopefully you're faster than everybody else. But, but I didn't realize that there are people that, that are like three step hurdlers and four pe- people that are four step hurdlers. In other words, like they take three steps Every time before they jump over the hurdle, or four steps every time before they jump over the hurdle. I mean, you can imagine, right? The hurdles are, are consistently spaced down the track, and if you don't have the same step pattern as you go, you're going to be guessing at where you should take off and where you should land and you're probably going to knock things over. Not only that, but they've got like this perfect level jump. You know, they measure the height with the technology today. I mean, they measure how high they are above the hurdle when they clear that thing. They got that hurdler position and everything. I mean, they just got it down to this fine science and how they do it. They try to jump as low as possible so they can just keep on going. I mean, when you watch them, it's like their head doesn't even change level at all. They just get up over the hurdle. I don't know how they do it, but it's, it's amazing. Don't ever ask me to try to jump hurdles, please. Uh, but there's, there's consistency in it. There's positioning in it. Um, you've got to get into the right position and the right consistency in your Christian walk to get over some hurdles. Um, you know, in the Christian race, because I don't know if you knew this, but you're in a race. Did you know that you're in a race? There's only one prize and uh, and everybody's got to try to finish the race. Your prize is going to be different from everybody else's. Your chorus is different than everybody else's, but you're in a race. I hope you know that you're in a race because otherwise you're not running very quickly to get to the end. I- I'm running quick so I can get and finish my race, you know? Um but in the Christian race, there's hurdles to get over, and, and there's things that, that, that we've got to get past, and the biggest hurdle I think that there is in the Christian race is this, to go from being a hearer of the Word to being a doer of the Word. From being a hearer of the Word to being a doer of the Word. And we've got to be positioned right, and we've got to have the right consistency before we can become a doer of the Word. You know, I think that so many Christians have amazing intention in what they want to do and who they want to be, but there's this hurdle between them and accomplishing that thing, and it's called being a doer of the Word. Um, I've got a couple of quotes for you. It, this one is from a friend of mine. His name is Dr. Mark Barkley, and uh, he write, he's written a ton of books. He says this consistently throughout his books. He says, I believe that the gospel is not just believable, it's livable. You understand what I'm saying? Like, like it, I, It's not just, I believe that, but I think I should do that. The gospel is not just believable, but it's actually livable. I'm going to give you a quote by yours truly. I say this all the time to my congregation, and it's, uh, it's not that I came up with it, so I'm so smart, because I'm really not that smart. Uh, you can ask my wife. I'm not that smart, but God's smart. And this is what he told me. He said, son, your blessing is on the other side of your obedience, your blessing is on the other side of your obedience. That means that obedience is a hurdle to overcome. It's, it's an obstacle. It's a transition to overcome. How many of you ever have a hard time being obedient to something? Your boss, your teacher, your parents. Oh, my goodness. Being obedient to the Lord. When God says give and you're like, no, 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 not going to do that. Your blessing is on the other side of your obedience. And let me tell you, if you just get that one thing in your heart, oh my goodness, it'll change your life. Your blessing is on the other side of your obedience. You know, in Jesus' earthly ministry, he was constantly, constantly trying to get people to do what he said. He was constantly trying to get them to do the commandments of the Lord. This is what Jesus said uh, various points throughout the scripture. He said things like, if you love me, keep my commandments. In other words, do my commandments, right? He said, whoever hears my sayings and does them, I will make him like a wise man, or I will compare him to a wise man. My mother, my brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. That's what Jesus said. He was constantly, and I mean, I just took three of them. But I could come up with a whole lot more about Jesus trying to poke and prod people over into doing the Word of God. In fact, the Bible says that the Word of God itself is like an ox goad. You know what an ox goad is? It's like a cattle prod. It's like a shock thing, you know? So sometimes when Pastor Andrew gets up here and he's saying things, it's like shocking. Oh, my goodness. It's just to get you going. If I know this about people that labor in the gospel... They're not looking to be famous most of, most of the time. They're doing it not because it's the get rich quick scheme. Can I just say that real quick? Uh, this is not the get rich quick plan. It's because we love people. It's because we believe in the destiny that's on your life. It's because we're willing to sacrifice something that we have in the life that we live to invite people into our homes to be able to pour out. And, and when we get the calls at 2 o'clock in the morning to go to the emergency room or, or because someone's having a hard time, um, and, and they've been having a hard time for a long time, but they choose 2 o'clock in the morning for some reason. I don't know. That's why we do it. It's not because we're trying to get rich. Can I just say that the motivation of most pastors is pure and honest and true and right? Uh, There might be an oddball in there somewhere, but the Lord will take care of them. Uh, Most people have the right heart, and Jesus had the right heart in trying to get people to do what he was asking them to do. Let me tell you why. It's not because it was going to make him famous. The Bible says that the devil believed so much that if he didn't kill Jesus, that everyone in the world would believe. So he didn't need anybody else. So it, it wasn't about his affiliations or his, or his connections or anything that was going to make Jesus the pinnacle of belief throughout the world. It was Jesus. He didn't need anybody else. He was simply trying to get people to do it because he knew it was the best thing for them, because it would change their life and they would fulfill their destiny. Can I tell you that a, a sure way to find emptiness in your life is to not fulfill the destiny that God has for you? There, there is a there is a drive that is inside of our hearts to fulfill the calling of God in our life. And so many times when we're hopping around trying to do this and trying to do that, and we're looking for this and we're looking for that, and we eat too many donuts. Sorry, that was a word of knowledge for someone. Oh, wait, that was for me. It's just simply that we're trying to find that thing that fulfills us. Somebody once says that, it, that we're all created with this God-shaped hole on the inside of us. The funny thing is that it's just like the, the key on your, your car door if you've still got a keyhole. Um, if you don't have the right key, it won't turn the lock. It might, you might be able to cram it in there, but you might just break the key off. You know, if you don't have the right thing that fits just right. See, I was a biology major in college, and when you, there's certain animals that, that they've got the parts that match together. And if they are not the same species, the parts don't match, so they cannot reproduce, if you know what I mean. But you see, God has this thing that He's placed in all of us that we need Him. We need Him. And all of us, at some point, tried to fill that thing with that void with something else. But through experience, I can tell you there's nothing that satisfies like Jesus. A friend of mine says it like this, there's no high like the most high. And uh, we need Jesus. If there's one thing in our lives that we need, it's not more education. It's not more connections. If there's one thing in our life that we need, it's more Jesus. I want to talk to you about two big challenges to getting over this hurdle. See, because when there's hurdles coming up, it's not just the process of jumping over it, but it's all the setup that it takes to get over that hurdle, to be successful in getting over that hurdle. Can I get real practical with you about how to get over this hurdle of obedience and this hurdle of becoming a doer of the word of God? Um, If I've been accused of anything in my life and in my ministry, it's that I use too much scripture. Um, so, if I use too much scripture for you, I apologize, but you don't want to hear what I have to say. You want to hear what God has to say, and I'm going to let you know that through the Bible. Here's the first obstacle. The first obstacle and challenge to successfully negotiating the hurdle of going from being a hearer to a doer is simply this, that we selectively do the commandments of God. Selectively do commandments of God. Here's some honest issues, some real honest issues that probably all of us face and contemplate as we're thinking about wanting to become a doer because most of us want to be a doer of the Word of God. Here's the first one. Which commandments are for today? I mean, this, this thing was written like a long time ago. Some of it was written before Jesus, Uh, Which of these commandments are for today? Are they actually germane? Do they actually matter in our modern context? Uh, Which ones do I do? Should I keep sacrificing sacrificing goats and stuff? Up to you. Goats are pretty tasty. When we talk about the commandments of God, like, which ones do I need to do? Like, are there any that I can just skip out on? Here's what I did in college. I figured out which textbooks I actually had to buy which were none of them. Uh, I figured out which ones I actually had to buy, and then I bought those. But when it comes to the commandments of God, which ones do I actually have to do? Are there some that really he doesn't care about that much? I think that's a very valid question. How about this one? Some of these commandments, God, man, they just don't even make sense. I don't get it. Why would you ask? You can't possibly expect me to do that. Um, How about this one? Those commandments don't make me happy. And a loving God would never want me to not be happy. I mean, God wants me to be happy, right? Well, somebody said it like this. God doesn't so much want us to be happy as much as he wants us to be holy. And can I just say it this way, that holiness will breed happiness in your life? I know, most people think about holiness as being a dried out stick. You know, just like, oh, I have to not wear makeup. I got to wear a long dress, that, and not dudes, okay, The long dress with these small little flowers on it. I have to not bathe regularly, have bad hygiene, and then we're going to count that as being holiness unto the Lord. No, that is not holiness. In fact, the Bible says without holiness, no man will see the Lord. Can you imagine if you got some holiness in your life and all of a sudden God shows up on the scene? Now, if God showed up in your life, anything's liable to happen. Anything is viable to happen at that point. When God shows up on the scene, oh my goodness, all bets are off. Water can all of a sudden hold people up, right? I mean, dead people can come back to life again when Jesus is in the room. Parts that fell off, I mean, Jesus just picked the dude's ear up, did plastic surgery, just stuck it back on there. That's why I don't let any of the people that follow me carry swords. They're liable to lop somebody's ear off. It might be mine. I don't... But when Jesus shows up, anything is liable to happen. If we could get God to be real and tangible in our world, our life would never be the same again. See, because coming to church on a Sunday afternoon, I got it right. On a Sunday afternoon or on a Sunday morning or on a Sunday night, going to Bible college in the middle of the week, showing up to the pastor's house, all of those things are great things to do. But what happens when we go outside of the doors? What happens when we have to go back to work? Because how many of you actually have to go back to work? I mean, when when reality hits, when you've got to go back to school and you've got to face the people that don't do the thing that you do on Sunday morning, like that's where the rubber meets the road. I want God to be there. I don't want to leave him in the, in the box in church on Sunday. I want Jesus to be with me. How do you do that, holiness? And when God is with you, then happiness will come too. You know, I don't have time to specifically answer all those questions I just threw out there to you, but I'm going to give you some principles uh, and some keys that you can use to guide you into the right response and the right understanding. Cool. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. I'm going to be reading mostly out of the English standard version of the Bible. You can read along in whatever version you have. If you don't have a Bible, you can get one right there on your phone, Olive Tree or, or um, Version or whatever, or you can just go right onto the internet and you can type in 1 John 1, 5 and it'll probably pull it up for you. I'm just thinking. 1 John 1, 5, it says this, this is the message or the gospel. We have heard from him and we proclaim it to you. That God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. See, this is what, I don't know who was saying it. Somebody was saying this morning that God's not trying to, like, beat you up or nothing. He's not an angry God looking for a reason because God knows He has enough reason to destroy us, right? I mean, that's why I'm not God, because I would be vaporizing people everywhere, and then I'd look in the mirror and have to vaporize myself because I'm a problem. You see, but, but God's not like that. In him is light and there is no darkness at all. What does that mean? There, it's not 50-50 with God. It's not even 70-30 with God. It's not God gets you sick to teach you a lesson because God doesn't have sickness to dish out. There's no darkness in him at all. There's nothing negative in God at all. In him is light, purely light. No mixture. There's no darkness at all. So then when we come to God and we do what it is that he wants us to do, how many of those things are going to be negative and for our demise? Because in him is no darkness at all. There's only light in him. You can trust him. Check this out. Psalms chapter 19, verses 7 through 10. The law of the Lord is perfect. You know what perfect means? Like I, I've, I don't think I've ever done anything perfectly in my entire life, but the law of the Lord is perfect, the whole thing. There's not one part of it, is that, that's what it means, not one part of it has even one little bit of something wrong with it. It is perfect, reviving your soul. Your soul is like your mind, your will, your emotions, your imaginations, and your memories. Wait a minute. The law of God can cause my mind and my heart and my emotions to be revived? Absolutely. Because it's perfect. Listen, the testimony of the Lord is sure. I like these words. It's perfect. And it's sure. That means I can count on it. It's not shifting sand underneath my feet. I can count on it. That's amazing. Listen. Listen. Making wise the simple, verse 8, the precepts or the commandments of the Lord are right. That means they're not wrong. That means they're right. That means that if I'm going to do something, ought to, if I want to do what's right, it's pretty simple. I just do the commandments of the Lord. Rejoicing the heart, the commandment of the Lord is pure. It enlightens the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. It's enduring forever forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. You know, we don't believe that scripture. None of us do. Because if we had the choice between lots of gold and the commandments of the Lord, we'd choose gold every time. You know what? That's just because we don't understand how awesome the commandments of God are. Because if we did, we would say, no, I don't need no gold. I got the commandment of God. That's what Solomon did, I think. He said, I don't know how to go out. I don't know how to come in. I don't know how to lead these people, God, but maybe you can help me a little bit. And God said, because your heart was right, I'm going to not only... Let you do all those things that you asked for, but I'm going to give you wealth beyond your wildest imaginations. You know, in today's dollars, the, the, um, Solomon's temple was worth something like $13 trillion, with a T, trillion. Woo! Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, in the English Standard Version of the Bible. Auntie Jackie, it's so good to see you. This is a, a friend of mine that uh, that is here in Southern California, and she was at our church for how many years? Were you with us at our church in '99? And when did you move here? 2007. So somebody, whoever can do quick math, 18 years some, or something like that. Um, it, it was so great to have her, and it's great to have you here today. Thank you for coming. Matthew chapter five, verses 17 through 19, in the English Standard Version of the Bible, it says this: I Do not think, this is what Jesus said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, listen, but to fulfill them. So do you know that the law of God didn't ever really actually ever pass away? Jesus just fulfilled it. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota or a dot. In other words, in another translation, it says not one jot, not one tittle. That means the cross of the T or the dot of the I. Not one of them will pass away until all the law is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes, that not even abolishes, just relaxes. Like, like, take some stipulations off. No, you don't really have to do that. Tithing, nah. Tithe doesn't actually mean 8%. It's, it, it's more uh, like 10%. It's more like whatever you want to give. Like, if you got 8%, that's cool. That's, that's the tithe. No, no. Don't relax the least of these commandments. And teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. What I want to tell you today about these things is that you can trust God that if He has a commandment out there, it didn't ever pass away. That Jesus came to fulfill it, and if we're meant to follow after Jesus' pattern, and we are, then our goal is to fulfill the law of God. I'm so thankful that God simplified it from 10 to 2, because I can do two. He said, the greatest commandments are these, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is, like unto it, love your neighbor... In the same way that you love yourself, to the same degree, to the same uh, amount that you love yourself. And can I just say, we all love ourselves a lot, like a lot, a lot. We feed ourselves more than we feed anybody else. We put better clothes on ourselves than we put on anybody else. If anybody, else, if anybody is going to get the recognition or the sleep or the coffee, it's going to be us. We love ourselves. The Bible says, esteem others higher than yourselves. That means it it automatically assumes that we esteem ourselves highly. But we're supposed to esteem others higher than ourselves. And so when God tells us to do these things, he's got it out for our good. It will change our lives for the better. Here's how to start. If you see it in the Word of God, I know it's really intense, probably needed to go to a theological seminary to learn it. But if you see it in the Word of God, do it. (laughs) That's 20 years of, of ministry experience right there. If you see it in the Word of God, do it. Now, somebody might take issue with me on this, but, like, the way I figure it is, like, I'm just going to do it all. And if something goes sideways, when I, when I get to heaven, I'll ask God about it. Like, what's up with that? But you know what? God will never let me down. If you see it in the Word of God, do it. it it's really simple. I, I don't think Christianity is complicated. I think it was a book written for children, which is why I can understand it. And, and when we try to complicate Christianity and there's all these rules and all these things and, you know, all this permissive will and, 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 and this and that and, and the, the rapture and the, look, just, just say yes and do it. Christianity is not, it, it's not complicated, it's simple. But just because something is simple doesn't mean that it's easy. Here's the second thing that makes it difficult for us to get over this hurdle. You guys okay? I'm not hurting you? All right, good. Here's the next one. It's allowing other people to do the will of God and then living vicariously through them. Hmm. What do you mean, Pastor Jake? Well, this is what I mean. It's really common nowadays for people to align themselves with a church or with a pastor that's doing a lot. And then they pretty much go buy the jersey and put it on, Billings, 77, because that's, that's God's number seven. And they rep the person that's doing a lot, and they feel like they're doing a lot because they're repping that person, but they're not doing anything. I mean, it's like people that have jersey-wearing contests. You know, they, they go about wearing the, their favorite athlete's jersey and whatever, and it's like, look, dude, you, you can't even play basketball. I don't care how, how low you wear your shorts. You can't play basketball. And if anyone from my congregation is watching this, they're laughing because they know I can't play basketball. I was not recruited for basketball, that's for sure. But you see, we can, we can wear the jersey of our favorite ministry or our favorite pastor and oh my goodness, they're doing this, they're doing that. Yeah, and then we feel all real about it, but really we're just like, I don't know, in my, back in my old days, is like you're a poser. I was a youth pastor for 16 years, sorry. Just a poser. It's not, Jesus is not asking us to connect and to identify or even share people's videos that are awesome. He's asking us to be awesome. Because you're awesome. I don't know if you knew that, but the gift of God is in you. The ability of Almighty God is in you. If you're called by the name of Christ, then He's put His name on you, and His name is above every other name. I mean, it, it is amazing what you have access to if you would let him be Lord in your life. Identifying with other people doing things is not doing things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4 in the English Standard Version of the Bible, this is exactly what the Bible, this was, has been going on for a long time. Check it out. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? These guys were choosing teams back in the Bible days, repping Paul, repping Apollos, and they weren't doing anything. I remember these guys, the seven sons of Sceva. Now, some of you might know the story, some of you might not know it, but, but for those of you that know it, you know what I'm talking about. They were like, uh, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, get out. They're talking to a demon and, and the demon strips these seven guys naked, beats them uh, after telling them, Paul I know and Jesus I know, but who are you? See, I don't care if you know my name or if the internet knows my name. All I need is for two beings to know my name, Jesus and the devil. That's the only people I need to know my name. Because all kinds of people can know my name, but unless Jesus knows my name, there, there's really no big deal about that. I don't have power in anyone's, anyone else's name except for the name of Jesus. Can I just say it this way? Jesus is urging us, begging us to get off the bench and get on the field. Get out of the stands, get out of the cheering section, get out of the fan base, and get onto the field. No matter how, how horrible you are, even if you're absolute rubbish and trash at what it is that you do, I have more respect for somebody that will get on the field with me than somebody that will watch and cheer and cri- or maybe even just critique from the nosebleed section. You know, the best quarterbacks are not found on the fields of the NFL. They are found in the nosebleed section. Oh, if you've ever sat next to one, you know what I'm talking about. They, they, they should have been a coach in the NFL because they know all the calls that should have been made. They know the throw that they should have made, but you didn't have a 380-pound lineman trying to eat you for lunch. That's called under duress. Jesus wants us to get out of the stands and onto the field. Here's how he said it. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38, he said, He said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into this harvest. You know that, word, that, that phrase, send out laborers? That's so nice, so kind. You know what it actually means? It means eject eject them into the harvest field. I was just, I had the pleasure of being with a young man uh, recently that, that's been a part of my church for the last 12 years. He just graduated from flight school uh, at Laughlin Air Force Base in Texas. He was showing me one of the training aircraft that they, that they have there. It's called the T-6. And it does have an, e- an ejection seat. And uh, he was telling me about how nervous he was the very first time. You have to pull the pin out of the ejection seat before you take off because they have to make sure that you're actually able to eject if you need to. And how much fear and trembling went into him simply pulling the pin on that and sticking it into the little pin holder on the side because now you're sitting on a rocket, yeah. <laughs> and you're about to be hundreds of feet above the ground with a canopy that's rigged with explosives to blow the top off of there so that you can pull the string on the rocket to shoot you up so hopefully you survive. That's the picture that we're talking about here. Jesus is not like, "Oh, send them out into the harvest." He's like, "Blow them out into the field." Like sh- sh- <laughs> I mean, eject them into the harvest. I pray this for my church, like, God, just blow them out into the field. Get us all out of our seat, out of the way that, we, that we've done things, and, and, and our sedentary life of, of being little baby birds, feed me, feed me, feed me. But instead, we want to take that and, 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 and turn it into motion, amen? Can I just say it this way, really super practically, the harvest is not on the other side of the world, it's on the other side of your street, it's on the other side of your phone. It's on the other end of your text message. Maybe the harvest field, uh, I know probably you're all saved in here, but maybe the, the harvest field is right on the other side of your aisle. People are like, don't send me to India. God, God, doesn't want to, God doesn't care whether or not you go to India. I want to say this the right way. But he does care if you go to your neighbor. He does care if you talk to the person that's hurting. You know, you want to find hurting people? Go to the pharmacy. Everybody there needs healing. Every one of them. Jesus doesn't care if you go to the other side of the world, He wants you to go to the other side of your street. I know that brings it like really close to home, and I'm sorry for doing that to you, but it's the truth. You know, the truth without acting upon it is not a blessing at all. In fact, all we are is just responsible for the word that we heard. But when we do it, there's a blessing attached to it. Are we okay on time, Pastor? Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27 says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Now listen, I know that some of you are familiar with this, but don't, don't tune it out just yet. Listen. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and it did not fall, because they had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it." You know, something that you might not know, I know you guys are like uh, earthquake experts in California, right? We don't have too many of those at home, but we do have volcanoes. Um, You might be an earthquake expert, but did you know this? That sand actually amplifies, like a sandy substrate actually amplifies the effectiveness of an earthquake. So back in in Haiti, back in um, 2010, there was a nasty earthquake, right? But it was only a 7.0. But when you look at the destruction that went on there, it was amazing the amount of destruction that happened. I I don't know what the final counts were. I had seen counts of 230 or 300,000 people that died in that earthquake. Now, some of it was shoddy construction, but some of it was that they are on a sandy substrate. Did you know that a sandy substrate will amplify and magnify the effectiveness of an earthquake up to 10 times the amount that a solid rock will? Can I just tell you that you want to build your house on the rock? You know what sand is? Sand is just little bits of rock. That's all it is. But the problem is, is that we feel like we can build our house on a small little piece of rock. Yeah, I'll build my tiny house on this rock. But you know what? It, it, it's not that. It's, it's rock that's been broken apart, separated, and, 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 and it's, it has no integrity in a lot of ways to it. We need to take that sand, all these little bits and pieces of truth, because that, that's what it is. It's these little bits and pieces of truth. All these things that we've learned and that we've been taught every Sunday or every time that we get together and we get into the Word of God and we get this truth and a little bit comes in and a little bit comes in. It's just like sand, but let me tell you what causes that sand to like congeal and turn into one massive edifice of a rock. It's called doing the Word of God because if we build our house on that, we will not be shaken in times. Of earth shaking. Amen. Can I just tell you there's a blessing in doing things? There's an absolute blessing in doing the will of God. Listen, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 25. Uh, I, I, won't, uh, yeah, I won't go through the whole thing, but in verse 25 it says this But one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed, listen, in his doing. See, we're not blessed in our hearing, right? It's not well heard, thou faithful servant. It's well done, thou good and faithful servant. Am I right? Not well thought, not well construed, not well theologianized. That's a new word for you. It's none of that, it's well done. Thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy or the rest of your Lord. Uh, you want to really feel like God is with you beyond your worship service? You want to feel like God's with you beyond your church gatherings? Can I tell you how to do that? It's right here in Mark chapter 16, verses 19 and 20. It says this, so then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down. He wasn't going to do anything else. And they went out and preached everywhere. While, listen, the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. You want God to be with you, working with you, doing stuff with you? Go and do, and he'll be with you. I know sometimes people ask me this, like, and they, they're so honest and, and so uh, practical about it. God, how, do I, how do I get God to be with me all the time? Super simple. It's the same way that I can ensure that I'm with my wife all the time. Wherever she wants to go, I go. <laughs> because if I want to go somewhere that she doesn't want to go, she's not necessarily going to come with me. You see, some people are like, God, this is where I'm going. Bless my plans. Come with me. This is what I'm going to do. Come with me, God. And he's like, "Mm, no, not so much interested in that. I don't go there. Oh, we definitely don't go there. But what if we just turn it around and we said, God, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? And whatever he said, we're like, yeah, I'm with you. You will never have to live a day without Jesus in your life. Just go wherever he goes. Do whatever he does. And you're going to be with him. And he's going to be with you, working with you. You see, you don't have to work alone. God will actually work with you. That is awesome. Did you know that God will actually empower you to do his will? You don't have to just try hard to do His will. God will actually empower you, give you the ability to do His will. It says that right here in Philippians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14 in the Amplified Version of the Bible. So sorry if it's a little bit loud. It says this, not in your own strength, for it is God who is all the while effectually at work in you, energizing and creating in you the power and desire both to will and And to work for his good pleasure and satisfaction and delight. I love the next scripture. You don't want to leave it out. Do all things. Do all the things. Do all things without grumbling and fault-finding and complaining against God. And questioning and doubting among yourselves. Do all the things. It's pretty simple, right? Do all the things. If you see it, do it. I'm about to land this plane. You guys good? John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14 says this, truly, truly, I say to to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. I want to pause real quick, because I know there's a big theology thing about this, that people are like, we can't do greater things than Jesus did. The only greater thing that we can do that Jesus did is we can lead people to salvation because Jesus wasn't able to give salvation because he wasn't crucified yet, and so we can't do all the things he did like miracles and signs and wonders, but we can lead people to Jesus and give them salvation. You didn't read your Bible right. I'm not that smart, but Jesus started with, the things that I do, you will do also. And... Because and is better than or. I think I learned that from like a Bud Light commercial or something. Can I say Bud Light in church? I don't know. If not, I'll apologize. And is better than or. We can do and greater things. Not or greater things. We can do and greater things. So all the things, anything that you ever saw Jesus ever do in the Bible you can do. I would maybe leave the beating people in the temple, like out for a little while, build your faith a little bit. But the raising of the dead and casting out devils and speaking in other tongues and all that stuff, I mean, turning water into wine. Can I just tell you right now, every time I go out to dinner, I pray over my water. And if it will turn to wine, I will drink it. I want you to know that right now. Walking through the water section at Walmart, Jesus. (laughs) Any of the things that Jesus did, it's fair game for you. If you do His commandments. Why can you do this? Because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask, In my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Well, can I ask for anything, God? Can I ask for like three hot wives? No, then you're not following the commandment of the Lord. There are boundaries to this thing. It's following the commandment of God and anything within the will of God, ask for it. Why wouldn't He do it for you? He, he knows that it's the best thing for you. It's His will. So if it's His will, then He'll just say yes to it. Amen? You know, Newton's laws of, of motion says this, an object at rest tends to stay at rest unless acted upon by an external force. You may call me Pastor External Force. I am here to apply external force to you, to pull your ejection handle, and to believe that today is the day that it begins for you. Enough coming to church and just hearing, I'm not saying don't come to church, come to church. But you're going to come to church now with a different reason because you're going to have to, you're going to get so hungry to learn how to do this thing. You know, you you never researched so many YouTube videos on how to ride a skateboard until you decide that you're going to ride a skateboard. And when you come to church and you've tried to pray for somebody and nothing happened, not that nothing's going to happen, but if if you ever come into that, let me tell you how hungry you're going to be to come in and, and find this man and woman of God and ask them, why didn't anything happen? Because according to the Bible, something's supposed to happen. And you're going to learn that this thing works. An object at rest will tend to stay at rest unless acted upon by an external force. You know, I know that the Holy Spirit lives within us and everything, but we've got pastors that live on the outside of us, and they are meant to be an external force of change and acceleration in our life. You know, for those of you that have been doing this for a long time, one thing I learned in physics is that in, in physics world where there's no you know, friction and no air drag and all that stuff, if you're going at a constant velocity, you can't tell that, there's a, that you're actually moving uh, because you can really only feel acceleration, whether it's positive acceleration or deceleration. That's the only thing that you feel. You feel it in a turn. You feel it in a motion forward or backwards, but, but you can't tell whether you're just at a constant velocity or if you're standing still. Can I just tell you this? If you've been at this thing for a long time and, and you've been at a constant velocity, my friend... It is time for you to hit the accelerator. It's time for you to speed up the process. It's time to get more aggressive about the things of God and and, and His plan and His purpose. Remember, you're in a race. You're in a race. And it's time for you to hit that finish line with force. Amen? Don't just wear somebody's jersey and be a fan. Be a follower of Christ. Amen? Be a doer of the Word. Let me just say it to you again this way, if you see it, do it. If you see it, do it. This Christian thing is not complicated. If you see it, do it. Can you say amen to that?